Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, guys. I'm Lux. And I'm Sam. And we host Killing It, the Crimecast. Every week, each of us tells the other about a crazy and interesting true crime case we've come across. Some highlights include... A countess who bathed in blood. A machete-wielding homophobe. Munchausen by proxy leading to matricide. Murderous messages written in lipstick. And a religious pastor being bludgeoned to death with an electric guitar. We both love true crime, we love talking about it, and we hope you guys will enjoy listening to it. So check out Killing It, the Crimecast on whatever podcast app you damn well please. Bye-bye. This podcast involves topics such as violence, sex, and mental illness. If these are likely to disturb you or those around you, please reconsider. The privacy and confidentiality of everyone discussed have been carefully protected and demographics and other details have been changed whenever possible. If you ever feel unsafe or suicidal, please call your local crisis center or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You matter. Hey, this is Kate. What does the word normal mean? What does it mean to be normal? Is it a certain appearance? Is it a day-to-day way of life? Is it a schedule? Is it a la- what? Sometimes I'm really asking, like, literally tell me what it means because I don't know anymore. And sometimes it's rhetorical. And sometimes somewhere in between. But we all have our own personal normal. You can't overthink everything in your life every day, day in, day out. I mean... I guess you can, but this way OCD and mental illness and general misery can lie sometimes. So most of us learn how to sort of skim over the top when we can and only more deeply interact with and look introspectively at our own lives when we have time or when we're forced to. This concept of normal, I think... None of us really feel normal, and therefore most of us kind of are normal, in the sense that we all are aware of our differences, and we're aware that other people seem to have it together from the outside, because we can't really look inside their heads, and that really, the only people to me that have a serious problem are the ones who can't seem to recognize that we're all just flailing around and doing the best we can, and we both hope and fear that this is as normal as it gets. So what that means then is that you stop 
realizing from the outside just how unusual or usual your own life is. And what I mean by that is like, say for me, when I would work in the prisons or the state hospitals, after a while, I would have to spend time with friends or just at the grocery store and really look at people and be like, right, most people don't finger paint with their own feces on the wall. Cool. Got it. Okay. Next. Right? There's this need to check back in with reality because, like, if you're a preschool teacher or if you work in prisons, you might see some of the same behaviors repeated and you start to think, oh, this is cool. Like, all of us spits at each other when we're mad. It's what we do. Not so much. So, for me, it's been super helpful to check in with other people over time and remember, like, oh, right, right, right. They have a more normal, a more typical outlook than I do, and yet they're better at stuff than I am. This is how humans work. Got it. I had the opportunity to do this pretty recently when I did a collaborative episode with Ryan and Rosie from the Voice of the Victim podcast. They listened to me so much, I derailed them so many times, that they split their episode into two parts. The first played last week and the second was dropped earlier today so if you haven't heard please go check theirs out uh the show the links will be in the show notes they had a really good timeline a really clear step-by-step sort of here's the life in broad strokes because we're taking a life of 50 years down to two hours but still here's the life of a woman who looked normal from the outside for a long time until suddenly she really, really didn't. Her name is Sheila Labar, and she is one of New Hampshire's more famous and infamous residents, criminals, women. She is known, as far as the legal system is concerned, to have killed two young men suspected of at least two more. So, you know, not a nice person. And I think she knew that in her head to a degree. She knew it well enough to hide her crimes. She knew it well enough to deny her crimes and to set up a lifestyle that really would have allowed her to continue doing the same horrible, inappropriate acts if one concerned mom had not reached out and reached out and reached out again until somebody finally believed her. My role in this was to realize, right, I don't have all the steps that they do in my head, but I understand things that lots of people don't. Like, I didn't even think to question anymore. Well, of course she would do that in this way. And naturally things would go down that path. So, between us, I think we had a really true collaboration, a good, solid meeting of the minds. So, check out their episodes, then listen here, and see if it all starts to make sense to you. Though, are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss.
I am nowhere, nowhere near as organized as you. And so my thought is let's just sort of wander down some of the side things that I did a good job. I'd like to point out of not going down these roads when we were talking. Um, I, I tend toward impulsivity. So I'm quite proud of myself for shutting up. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but so, so let's, uh, let's go down some of those roads and see where it takes us. Awesome. Um, you know, and we'll go from there. But so before I forget, let's start with, go ahead and introduce yourself, tell people where they can find you. All right. Well, do you want to do the intro this time? No. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm Ryan. <laughs> I'm Rosie. And uh, we run the Voice of the Victim podcast where we talk about um, criminal cases that involve some factor of abuse and talk about how abuse can affect people and maybe warp their realities to make them uh, be able to justify doing terrible things in the future. So Right. And we also talk about how if you see anything strange or you notice anything or have a gut feeling about something, then you should probably tell somebody and help save a life. Yeah. We like to identify missed opportunities in the cases that we cover where uh, uh, sometimes people could have dropped the ball and it it could have prevented a horrible tragedy that happened later. So so that's that kind of sums us up. Mm-hmm. And you guys are aware of, on like Twitter and whatever. Oh yeah, uh, on Twitter we are VOV Pod. That's uh, like Voice of Victim Pod, and then on Instagram and Gmail we're VOV Podcast. So I think that's and there'll be I'll, I'll put I'll put links in the show notes, so that'll be there. Uh, awesome. But we will do what we can to align uh, a release of episodes, as you guys don't want to do it too soon because that scares me. <laughs> but, <laughs> All right. But so what people should do if you haven't yet is go listen to their episode or four or however many we ended up just filling because I just interrupted them <laughs> enough to stretch their their little half hour episode into like six hours. But go listen to that because that'll give you sort of a background about, you know, sort of the, the facts, which I'm not big on facts. I mean, whatever. Um, but you'll also hear that I can not swear for a full two-hour conversation. I am super <laughs> proud of that, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, but so the moral is what that does is give, uh, you know, a, a more in-depth overview. But basically what we're talking about is a case about a woman called Sheila Labar, L-A-B-A-R-R-E. She committed her crimes that we know about in Epping, New Hampshire, which is sort of, if you picture, you know, New Hampshire it, it has a wide base, flat bottom, and it's right like in the middle um, on the bottom of the state. And it's this sort of bucolic, like rolling hills and farmland and apparently dead bodies and burn pits like you do. Um, and <laughs> Sheila sort of had a long history of really intense, uh, dramatic, miserable relationships, often with domestic violence, some evidence of child abuse in there, both her own experienced and inflicted upon children. And then she never actually, she took the name Labar, but she was never married 
to this guy who was a chiropractor in the area and he owned a property basically across the width of New Hampshire. And he died under kind of mysterious circumstances, but it was never very closely investigated. She refused to pay for his funeral, but she took his last name. So, you know, classy lady. Uh, she magically inherited all his estate. And after that, young homeless men of questionable uh, competence started disappearing. We know of two. And there's at least a third who, if nothing else, left his toes behind on her property <laughs> when he left. Yeah. Um, so she was a piece of work. And there are several sort of legal and psychological issues that came up over the course of our chat, but that's the baseline. So obviously I sound like an idiot giving a summary of it. So go check out voice of the victim podcast. I, I, I will put an, a link to the show notes once I actually know, you know, the, the, the specific link to these episodes, but generally you should be able to figure it out. You're smart people and then come back here because now we're going to kind of get a little more into it. So you guys first, what, what stands out to you? Like what was the weirdest or the most still, whatever go it's weird. Well, first I want to say we're nowhere near as, as good at improv improvisation as you are. I can't even talk, but, um, ah, that's a good question. Do you, yeah, do you I'll think? go first. So the first thing that really stuck out to me was the photographs that she took, um, of Kenny in Walmart with the, gas cans on his lap I thought that was just an odd little tidbit and my second thing that it just really grosses me out and when I think about it, it just gives me the shivers are those toes I just cannot the get toes. over the toes yeah because even in the documentary oh, they just look like little popcorn kernels like unpopped and it's like, oh, I was yeah. thinking of corn nuts I was like I'll never eat a corn nut again because <laughs> yeah. that's what they reminded me of well and the thing that the thing that gets me about that is whose toes are they? Because someone <laughs> is either walking around missing their toes or or else some family is missing their the family member. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just think of this they, guy walking around with it. It came from a person. Feet. Yeah. So there's some person. Shit, I just had my toes. Where did they go? I just put them down somewhere. My God. Well, I think of this <laughs> really great story he would tell people. He'd be like, yeah. I got away, but I lost a few toes. <laughs> I ran so fast, I left my toes behind, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't hang I mean, on. I don't know. I, I mean, so, I mean, her, first, uh, it's, okay, first, let's, let's deal with the toes because they're, that's, that's really fucked up. And you guys can swear, I'm okay with that, because I'm done. Right. Because, seriously, toes, like, what the, uh, so, one of the things is that, Right after Kenny County, who was her second known victim, disappeared, uh, police showed up because his mother, who was in Massachusetts, called and reported him as missing, which this is kind of a routine thing. But by this point, Sheila had made herself enough of a pain in the ass with police that they were sort of not real concerned about it. You know, they took their time getting there, but they get there and, you know, they find nobody. They don't find this kid who, who he was... I don't remember how old, what, 24? But mm -hmm. he yeah. was very childlike in many ways. He was on the spectrum. He was not a, a fully functioning adult, I would argue. Yeah, but he was, he was his own guardian. As, yeah. 
He was described as having the the mental capacity of a 12-year-old, so. Right, and so this had happened before, and so I think I think what was happening is that, I mean, okay, so I, I've had this conversation recently with, with a friend about the idea of being logical without mm-hmm. being rational. Oh, right. And yeah. so what I would de- I would define as rational is behaving in ways that other people would look at and go, yeah, that makes sense. Gotcha. Right. That makes right. Sense. Whereas logical, <laughs> you can skip that part. Right. Except there is a train of logic that gets you there. So if you've ever watched a toddler function at all, period, you know what I mean mm-hmm. about these kids who are doing things and the adults looking at them like, what the hell is your problem? Like, are you drunk? <laughs> what are you doing? Mm-hmm. But in their minds, it makes sense. Yeah, to the kid, it seems logical. You know, but it, it does. So, you, you know, you get a kid who decides they're going to get a drink. And so they pull out this thing that is obviously too heavy for them. And rather than, you know, ask for help, they just start pouring. And now you got milk all over the floor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So not rational because they should have asked for help. But there's a logic to it. You know, there's, yeah. you can follow it and like, okay, it makes sense what you did, but don't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so wow. I, I feel like the same kind of applies to her is, and to him to an extent. But we're talking about Sheila specifically is that she built up a logic. And in her mind, she was repeatedly by Kenny County's mom being accused of abuse. Kenny County's mm. mom kept calling her, kept speaking to her, kept saying effectively, I believe that you're abusing my son. I need to talk to my son. You need to prove to me that he's okay. She kept sending police to the house. She knew something wasn't right. And the problem yeah. was she didn't take the proper steps to attain guardianship, which is not easy. It is not easy to take guardianship of another human being. Because basically, as long as you can prove that you can figure out ways, and they may not be the most effective or efficient or whatever, but as long as you can prove that I can figure out ways to feed, clothe, bathe, you know, and and find sleep for myself, the judge is going to kind of shrug and go, look, there's nothing we can do. Uh And that's probably the case there. And so in Sheila's mind, she's got this mother ragging on her. You know, calling and calling and calling. So I'm going to start photographing. I'm going to prove that he's fine. Oh. And, you know, and, and this is like, like in her mind, like this twisted legal proof. Like, I'm going to prove he's alive today. And then I'm going to prove that he's alive tomorrow. And it's going to be fine. I'm going to prove that he's intact. And I think that, you know, we talked about this a little bit in your show, how I don't think Sheila could see just how incredibly broken he was by the end. And I'll probably use his photo as my episode art for this, this mm-hmm. time because he deserves yeah. to be remembered and looked at. And it's hard mm-hmm. to look at. So look twice. Yeah, because it's to hard. anyone else, it doesn't look like he's doing okay. At all, right? But so look at that. And, and, and realize just how broken he was at the end. And yet, by all legal standards, there's nothing anybody can do. 
mm-hmm. right? Because if he's basically functional and he's eight, you know, he seems oriented to where he is and who he is and roughly what date it is and that kind of deal. And the police say, are you okay? And he says, yes, that's all they can do. That's what a welfare check is. It's super, super limited. Mm-hmm. You know, they uh, have to lay eyes on him, so they can't take her word for it. But so if she's taking pictures every day, in her mind, that might be a twisted way of saying, well, you know, the police don't have to see him. Look, I can show you a photo. Or I can document every day. Look, he's fine. Look, he's fine. Look, he's fine. Look, he's fine. And she's not realizing, like, when you hit somebody, the first punch leaves a bruise. And maybe mm-hmm. both of them are sort of shocked, like, oh, my God, I can't believe that just happened. That was horrific. And maybe you take a picture in a day or two to, to sort of prove to yourself, like, look, it's okay. He's fine. It's okay. And then the uh-huh. second hit leaves the bruise again, but you don't see it. You know what I mean? Like, like you don't see how it doesn't look as bad uh-huh. as you might think because it's not the first time. And the third bruise and the fourth bruise, it's all mental. So to go from the before to the after photos, and I have both and I can post both. But to go from uh-huh. this sort of smiley, happy kid who's in the, you know, whatever the high school graduation picture or whatever that is to this broken human being with bruises on top of bruises, you know, sitting yeah. in a wheelchair in a Walmart in New Hampshire. I mean, how much worse can your <laughs> moment be? <laughs> you know, it doesn't, you don't get there overnight. Yeah. Right? And if you do, then he's going to go, shit, I shouldn't be here. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm taken up, but because it was incremental. Yeah. Gradual. You know, he's going to stay. And so that's sort of where that photo comes from. As for the toes, uh, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) there's almost ways that I hope the person is dead. Uh You know, which is awful. Yeah, what kind of quality of life is that without your toes? I mean, it can happen. People lose their toes all the time to frostbite or whatever the hell. But the thing is... But it's been 10 years mm-hmm. since she was convicted. It's been like 12 since she was first arrested. That's a long time for nobody to come forward. So if yeah. she just simply, you know, uh, whatever, we're playing poker and you lose your toes, I, I, whatever the hell. <laughs> if the person is still alive through whatever means, and yet they haven't come forward after 12 years, what mm-hmm. did she do to them? Right. Yeah. Yeah. When when you think about where she got all these men, I mean, a lot of them were probably living off the grid, and um, because they were in the homeless shelters and they didn't seem to have anyone else to go to, and I mean, both the Michael and Kenny Kenny were mentally challenged, so it's. And you don't know what kind of uh, person those toes belong to or if anyone would have noticed they were missing. Do you ever notice as a podcaster that you have sentences come out of your mouth that you never thought you'd say? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's terrible. But no, totally. Uh, Okay, that was a terrible, terrible pun. And I'm sorry, but totally. (laughs) Well, I didn't even get it until you said that. So. Anyway, no, I didn't until I said it either, but <laughs> whatever. I'm a, I'm a horrible garbage person, and I'm keeping it in. So, <laughs> hey. 
Totally. She, I think by this point, I mean, okay, so she was married three times. And the third marriage was a guy from Jamaica. From all indications, she married him so he could get his green card. Oh. And she only stayed married to him for about a year. And I don't know where he is now. I don't know what the deal is. But that's, to my understanding, that's what was going on. And he escaped and good for him. And so I think that started to teach her, like, you can do things to people. Like, you shouldn't do things to a well-known doctor in the community. Because a lot of people ask a lot of questions when Bill Labar died. Yeah. And so I think she learned, like, okay... I probably shouldn't go after well-off white men anymore, especially because now I got money. We're cool. (laughs) Right. So instead she did what the rest of us do when we're looking for a hookup is you go hang out at the homeless shelter. Like, Hey baby. (laughs) And that's that's absolutely shitty of me. And I, and I apologize. Typical Friday night. Well, you know, and I, and I do, I have worked with individuals at the homeless shelter. I know them well. I know that there are some amazing people there who have just had life shit on them. Oh, yeah. But, totally. Mm-hmm. But um, in that case, because of that, I'm not going to go down and add to the pressure by, you know, bringing my toolbox around, which people will <laughs> yeah. understand if they listen to your episode. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in general, it's like, I feel like I would add to their stress if I went down and, and tried to initiate a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other individuals who are choosing to be there or who are incapable of maintaining, you know, housing and in general, okay, just fuck it. I don't want to date somebody at the homeless shelter. That's just is what it is. And mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, I don't want them to bring me home to their cot at the end of the night. So, you okay, I'm an asshole tent. about it. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> so the moral is though, she knew that if she went there, she was going to find people who were what what we call the less dead. The people living at the free society, it's like sex workers. It's like undocumented immigrants. It's like mm-hmm. single, it's like people with substance abuse issues. There are people in our society that simply don't get noticed because mm-hmm. they have sort of become, you know, estranged from their family or because they can't candle relationships with their family or they don't have any it's people who don't have the resources to speak up or to recognize that something's wrong in the first place you know there's just this category of individuals that are preyed upon by serial killers frankly because why not there's no consequences to their actions Mm -hmm. you know and that's what she was doing. I mean, I, I, the, the FBI has changed its requirements over what you have to consider to do to become a, to be considered a serial killer. And you only have to kill two people now. As oh, long yeah. as there's a repetitive angle to what you do. There's what's called a signature, which are there are things that you do that you don't that aren't necessary for the death to occur. Okay. And there's an indication that you would continue to do so, and there's a cooling off period between them. All of that fits Sheila Labar like a glove. Yeah. Right. She had a repetitive tendency that there was, I mean, the burn pit was not necessary for the death because they were already dead. Mm-hmm. There was a cooling off period between known victims. 
right? And there's sort of a vaguely ritualistic, like compulsive aspect to it all. And there's a, you know, so yeah, as far as I'm concerned, she is one. She fits that, that category completely. So we don't so, even need the missing toes person to. No, but they're helpful. You know, it's good for them. Thumbs up, as it were. It has to be thumbs up because it can't be toes up, right? But. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, there's something there. I mean, where did the big bones go? Yeah. Well, that's what I was wondering is the Walmart bag where Kenny ended up, apparently, it just looked like a bunch of, like, shredded fragments. They're, like, she must have really gone crazy on his remains to turn an entire human skeleton into a Walmart bag of fragments and who knows where the rest of it went. I mean, I don't know if she pulled, like, a sledgehammer out of her toolbox or what the hell, but... (laughs) Wow. Where do you keep that? I mean, I'm saying. But... (laughs) You know, somehow, like, it's just, there is something bizarre there about why if you're able to get rid of a femur, mm-hmm. how come you're not able to get rid of the toe bones? Like, that's weird to me. Yeah, true. And I have to wonder if it's almost just as simple as she got tired. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Sure. You know, it's got to take a, a whole... Uh, it's got to take a, t- a hell of a lot of effort to get rid of a body. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, and the police were there, what, was it four days after he went missing? Yeah, um, something. So and, she didn't have know, a lot of time. Well, then and you never know what's to... happening next. Like in that time, she's got to pack to get ready to go, and she's got. Mm-hmm. And I think also, you know, think about her photo of Kenny County. She may have missed the fine details. Mm-hmm. You know, she may so have she seen the forest, not the trees. Yeah. So I, I mean, there's a lot there. I don't know. Right. Well. Because um, was it the investigator said that she obviously knew how to get rid of a body because they had seen the research that she had done on her phone, and it was it had to take, I mean, a really hot fire, and it had to take days to actually completely burn a human body. Oh, right. She had to get it to a certain temperature. Oh, that's right. And then she had to like stoke it and that be was, there. That was something that was in the documentary that I didn't put in the outline, but yeah. Because the human body's it's so mo- much... made up so, of so much water, you right. need so much heat to actually break it down, burn it. Plus, I think about the smell that you're like you're helping it burn along, and you're poking at it and yeah. stuff, and it takes forever, and you're smelling this well, burning she, flesh. She did uh... get those two um, yellow barrels of diesel fuel, so that probably helped. Yeah. <laughs> Speed it up probably smelled horrible. I mean, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. One of the things that we talked about in your show is about the difference between being crazy and being legally insane. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, I think that's just a, an important sort of point to, to re- recover is just this idea that a lot of people wonder, like, what, what, how is that possible? How is it possible that she's found? sane after all this and and the answer is she's not found sane nobody thinks she's sane let's not pretend that she's sane but she's not legally incompetent yeah that's what i love about listening to your show is that 
every every episode I'm like it always happens where I'm like, wow, I never thought of it this way before. Like, how does she know that? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, it's because, you know, that's that's the thing is that's why I started a podcast is because oh, yeah, that's you know, right. I had this weird training in this very sort of uh, obscure background. But So I would be listening to other shows and be like, well, my God, like, how do you not know this? And well, the reason is because <laughs> I know weird stuff. Yeah. You know, I know I know stuff that, that normal people don't know. And so, oh, right, I guess I might as well start a podcast. It's not secret. It's just why would the rest of you bother learning this? You're busy learning whatever else it is that you do. Um, yeah. But so, I mean, just think about the difference of you can be what we, we call in the field batshit crazy <laughs> and uh-huh. yet be totally legally competent, which means... You're competent to stand trial and you can be found guilty of committing crimes because you are culpable for those crimes. And that's because that bar is really low. And I hate, hate, hate that they use the same terms. I hate that they use sane or mm-hmm. insane because that's not accurate. They should just yeah, say it's not legally the same competent. as competence. Exactly. But, but that's, what, that's what it is. You know, yeah. legally sane means that you know right from wrong. Which boils down to, you know how to hide it if you've done something wrong. Or you know to try to hide it, at least, if you've done something wrong. You know roughly, like, who and where you are and what day it is, that kind of deal. You know, we call that oriented to time and place. But basically it means you're not entirely fucked up in terms of, like, mm-hmm. you know yeah. who you are, right? Introducing yourself is like, I'm Batman, nice to meet you. Um, <laughs> that you know who your lawyer is and you're able to work with your lawyer it doesn't mean you do it doesn't mean you you can like in the sense of really truly helping your defense but it means you know who your lawyer is and you know how to answer basic questions from your lawyer right you don't think that your lawyer is santa claus and (laughs) you know like who the judge is and who your lawyer is and the opposing lawyer and you know you know you know the basic players because mm-hmm. a lot of courtroom stuff is like a stage, right? And so you know basically the actors and where they are and what they're doing. And you can sit during a trial and you're not like leaping up on the table and, you know, checking your lawyer for fleas or whatever, right? <laughs> right. So all of that's a pretty low bar. And those people are sort of quietly washed out long before a trial ever happens, you know? And so a lot of people are not competent to stand trial. But that's decided and figured out and dealt with before anybody comes into the courtroom and sits down. So for somebody to, to plead not guilty by reason of insanity and have it actually reach the courtroom, that's a stretch. And it's not common that people are found that way. Because oh, wow. juries are pretty smart. Oh, yeah. And the, the jury instructions are usually pretty clear. Mm-hmm. You know, especially on those points, like they get it. And so jury's going to look at you and be like, all right, knock it off. You know, <laughs> we just watched you, you know, because the trial takes however long. Right. And it takes effort to maintain a facade that isn't you. So maybe for a day or two, somebody might behave in an insane way. But after a while, it's tiring and you, 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 you take off the act and set it aside because you don't think anyone's watching. 
but the jury mm-hmm. watches you all the time. You know what I mean? Like they're watching all the time. They're fully aware of who you are, and that right. makes an impact. Mm-hmm. You know, so Sheila, I believe, had some. She had, uh, you know, sort of a what's the word? You know, a complex about being abused all the time. You know, yeah. uh, I've lost the word, but not an inferiority complex. But you know what I mean? Like what, uh, this, this, this belief. Yeah, like she perceived. Gonna... Yeah, she perceived yes. the abuse, even if it wasn't really there. And she was constantly yeah. being abused in her viewpoint all yeah. the time. Unless, so. yeah, it's like the unless she was actually initiating the the flirtation or whatever, she was being abused. Right, there was no, no middle ground. And so, you know, while I don't know what's on the books as far as her diagnosis is, and I didn't work with her in person in a clinical way, my guess is that she had what would be considered a personality disorder as opposed to a clinical, like, brain disorder. So the difference is, for one... Like the brain disorders, the disorders of like cognition, of thinking, and of mood, those were, they would respond fairly well to medications and therapy. Because for the most part, people who have those, so we're talking, you know, schizophrenia, psychosis, but also bipolar disorder and anxiety disorders and depression, and the things that are really a, a case of your brain spitting out the wrong chemicals at the wrong time. And when that happens, for the most part, people know something's not right. Like yeah. they, 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 they are aware that something is different and is wrong and feels wrong. And so they're eventually anyway, open to, okay, I got to try something different. This isn't working. I feel crappy. You know, at the very least, even if they're not open to treatment, they're open to saying, this is wrong. I feel crappy. Yeah. A personality disorder is like a pair of glasses you can't take off. It's how you perceive everything in the world. And oh. You know, it's like this, you can't, you don't think anything's wrong with you. You just perceive the world differently. So you might perceive the world as dangerous when other people don't. Or you might perceive personal interactions as confusing when other people don't. You know, I don't know other other examples. But, you know, so there is one diagnosis um that uh, fuck it it's called borderline personality disorder and i often shy away uh, from yeah. offering a diagnosis for somebody but that's my guess something in that cluster so narcissistic or borderline or histrionic or something with her and how, how she dealt with other people and mm-hmm. basically so okay the, the the disorder of adhd right is it's a case of your brain and your body don't buzz at the same speeds your brain mm. cycles faster than your body. And that's why people look fidgety or they look unfocused or whatever it is. It's because their brain and their body don't match and they're doing whatever they can to try to match them up themselves by fidgeting, <laughs> by looking all yeah. over the room, you know, by trying to take in more and more info to try to literally overload their brain so they can slow down. Yeah. But, whatever. Well. That's what they're trying to do. And so the medications that work for ADHD it's weird to think about, but are stimulants. Yeah. Right? And that's because that medication speeds up the body. 
And now suddenly your body and your brain match and you can go, okay, now let's focus on something. And suddenly you can control your focus better. Yeah. I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast, but I've, I've been diagnosed with ADHD and I mean, it does have a significant impact on being able to focus to write the outlines and stuff. I mean, it's a struggle and I'm not on any medication because I kind of, it kind of, uh, I don't know, I guess it got the better as I got older. have a but... lot of side effects. As an adult, it usually gets better, but try having a coffee before you try start writing. It's a good idea. There you go. You know, because that just as simple as that, it's considered self-medicating, but it totally works. And myself, and I also <laughs> I developed ADHD as an adult. I never had it as a kid. Oh, really? But I, I developed epilepsy in 2016 because why oh. not? Right. And oh, man. As a result of the epilepsy, I have a lesion in my right frontal lobe, which is exactly the part of the brain that controls things like what, what's called, you know, uh, I've lost the term now, but it's it's how you decide, here's what I'm going to do, here's how I'm going to do it, and then following through on your plan. Mm-hmm. Executive functioning, there it is. Um, that's where that wow. lesion is. And so suddenly, I have a hard time with that. Now, for one thing, I used to run an ADHD learning disabilities clinic. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of irony there. Secondly, because this lesion in my brain, which means a scar in my brain, was caused by epilepsy, by a seizure, I can't take stimulant medication because they cause seizures. Oh. That just sucks sideways. That's a tough spot to be in. I'm saying. (laughs) So, but the moral is, like, that's the kinds of things that help ADHD. And the older you get, the more you're going to learn little things that you don't even know you do. Like sitting a certain way so that you can bounce while you write. You know, <laughs> lift your office chair a little bit so that your feet aren't flat on the ground. And yeah. then you can you can toggle your legs, you can bounce on on the balls of your feet a little bit, and things like that help. And you learn that stuff as an adult so you don't need the medications as much. Right? Because uh, yeah. you learn how to treat in other ways. You learn how to control it better. Yeah, my personal experience, anytime I'm sitting listening to someone talk and I'm not actively doing something, my leg's always bouncing. Well, then you fake yeah. finger guitar oh, yeah. all the time on drum <laughs> on your leg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, that's what, you know, and those are ways of channeling some of that energy so that you don't need a medication. But it can't hurt, you know, try caffeine, but once in a while because you're speeding up your body and now your body and your brain match okay, now I can get shit done, right? So yeah. imagine that as a, an, an, an analogy for inside the head of somebody who has borderline personality disorder as well as some other challenges like that. In their head, it's drama all the time because they don't have their life, everything they perceive is not on a dimmer switch. Everything is on or off, yeah. right? So... Other people in their life are either good or bad. They're never okay. And they don't ever have a so-so day. It's always the best day ever or it sucked. And, you know, it's everything is just extreme. They don't understand mid-range. Like, that's not how their brain works. Mm -hmm. And 
that applies to other people as well. That their the other people's intentions are either positive or negative, either safe or scary. And you can switch. But I'll tell you what, it's real hard to go from being bad to good. It's real easy to go from being good to bad. Mm-hmm. Right? Because if you experience a lot of drama and a lot of danger in the world, that feels more real, more immediate than safety. Because safety is calm and safety mm-hmm. is quiet. And that feels a lot like nothing. Hmm. That makes a lot of so, sense. So when you are sitting around someday with that kind of chaos going on in your head. The only thing that feels better sometimes is creating drama in the outside world, especially if the people around you look calm, right? If you can get them revved up, now they're going, they're immersed in some sort of drama. And it may be that you weren't looking to make them unhappy, but at the very least, now they feel like you do, and so that's okay. Now you're normal. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that does make sense. That's so interesting. Yeah, rough up everybody around you, so then you fit in with the crowd. Hmm. Yeah, now they're all a flutter too. Everybody's immersed in the drama, so now you feel normal. <laughs> and yeah, mm-hmm. you're just another one of the crowd. You're just going on. But guess what? You controlled it. You're the one that started it. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense, like, for Sheila and Sheila's situation, based on what she, how she treated, like, trying to convince Kenny and Michael that they were, um, they were... Pedophiles? Yeah, well, first that they were, like, raped by their parents, and then that they were pedophiles, but it's, yeah, she was trying to rile them up and get them as low as she was or as yeah as as chaotic as fluttered as yeah she was. yeah mm-hmm. and you know my i wonder and this is you know pointless wondering but i wonder if they were not out in the middle of nowhere these guys might have survived because oh. if you're able to sort of disperse that drama for one then you don't need to as intensely like she made a sort of needed a certain degree of drama in order to feel okay. And if she yeah, knows she is she's sitting around, on a farm. Yeah, exactly. If she's around 50 other people, she can disperse it. But if she's alone on a farm with a bunch of horses and this one guy, well, the horses are no good. They don't talk. So here goes Kenny, you know? Interesting. Um, I, so I wonder about that. And I also wonder about the fact that being on the farm allowed her to create a reality in which abuse is okay in which mm. harming someone, stabbing someone with scissors becomes normal because you lose that comparison, that reference case. You know, your neighbor doesn't do it. So, I mean, there were neighbors around, but they were far enough away that she could kind of create her own reality. Yeah, her own and little country. Exactly. And she got these men not to report it. And mm-hmm. it, I know for sure that in New Hampshire, the standards are very low for a welfare check. So police might have showed up. But basically, all they can do is lay eyes on the guy and say, you doing okay? And if he goes, yep, there's nothing else they can do. Yeah. That's, that's the interesting part of, uh, of having freedom is that, I mean, there's a price to pay for everything. And 
the price we pay for freedom is having privacy, even if we it might be in our best interest not to have it in this case, like it would have been better for them to be investigated more, but because we have the freedom to as adults to um, do whatever we want, that nothing ever came out of these welfare checks. Live free or die, baby. Yep. <laughs> well, this is a random question, but did you ever find out, or did any of us find out, if any of the animals, the horses, were harmed in this horse farm? I have no idea. <laughs> so presumably not, because I have no idea. That's that they would use that against her. No, it, it is. Find any they would use that against feet? her. I never even thought of that horse until toes. you just said that. Horse toes. Horse toes. <laughs> <laughs> so, somebody had horse horse toes on the menu at a local diner. Yeah. No, I, I never heard about it, which I feel like I would have. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I felt like they probably would have been like the the practice bodies or something for the burn yeah. pile. Well, she did. I mean, who knows how all those rabbits died that she was apparently. Those are her pets. Oh, she loved yeah. rabbits. There was like, so I don't remember where it was, but I read a story about how much she loved rabbits, like more than people, and they meant oh, more really? than anything to her, and blah, blah, blah. Wow. That kind of sounds like you, really. It's not with rabbits. Well, though. I mean, you like animals more than people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. But, huh. So she, so we can assume that she didn't murder a bunch of rabbits. Not that she, I heard of. Um, what, what's the word? She burned know. them up at the end. Oh, oh that's right. She, she cremated, cremated. So, so she respected the rabbits enough like, to have a funeral for them. Maybe it was another Native American ritual. Native American <laughs> rabbits. Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, she, she came up with a lot of theories about what things were that, you know. Oh, yeah, I gave him a Native American burial. Like, Sheila, don't even. <laughs> but so let me tell you the story of how I yeah. met her before you guys go because that's yes. a fun one. Um, so I worked at, in the New Hampshire State Prison System, and I was actually involved with. So you know, you heard that she was in a, in a prison in Florida, and um, that's because all, most states do a lot of trading people around moving people Mm -hmm. around and new hampshire actually did have a scandal that happened uh, i don't remember the year now around 2005 2006 um having to do with pamela smart who was another peach um (laughs) who she she had her husband killed by a a bunch of high school kids that's right Um, she had a little fling going on with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the the subject of the movie To Die For. Okay. You gotta watch that. Wasn't that on Gen Y? Yeah, they covered it. That's why we know Probably. it. <laughs> I mean, she's a piece of work. Um, so I I was invited to. So she was by then housed in New York because she had been caught up in a sex scandal involving a guard in New Hampshire. Mm, and it was Pamela true. Smart. It was correct. And yes. And it, you are as a prison guard, you cannot have sexual contact with the inmates. 
they are not considered able to consent, right? Because they're oh, captive, okay. literally captive mm-hmm. audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but every so often, they will be shipped back to their originating state to sort of check against baseline in terms of legal competency. Are they still just as fucked up as they were the last time we saw them? Or have they gotten better or worse? Or, you know, that kind of deal. Um, So the originating state bears a certain degree of sort of lingering responsibility. Um, So I was allowed to sit in on some of that. I, I, that's about all I can say for sure about her. Um, although I do have a story about her and my boss that's for another time. Um, cool. But I won't talk, I won't speak about any, anybody that, that I met with in, in clinical terms. Even if I, yeah. I do have a signed release for some prisoners, but I feel like I don't need to capitalize on that. I have enough stories without. But so I worked in the men's prison for the most part, but the women's prison at the time did not have a full-time psychologist. And so my boss and I were called up to chat with Pamela Smart and this was before Sheila Labar was transferred out of New Hampshire just before it turns out um and I was sitting in this sort of day room uh, waiting for my boss to finish up with his thing um and I, I I there's this woman in the waiting in the day room who just struck me as like, you know the person that you can't stop watching? You don't like her. She's not attractive. You can't look away. You, you can't look away. And it, it, but she's not icky or scary either. You know, it's just there's a magnetism there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wasn't sure why exactly. I wasn't sure what it was about her. But I kept sort of looking. And finally a guard came. You know, and you learn in a prison how to look without looking. Yeah. You know, you, because eye contact is a threat. Mm-hmm. So you, you learn, especially as a staff member, not to engage directly. But a, a, a correction officer, a CO, came over to me and sort of nudged me and goes, you notice that woman over there? And I'm like, yeah. What is it about? There's a charisma there. Like, what is that? And he goes, that's Sheila Labar. And I had a minute of, who the hell is Sheila Labar? Holy shit. Like, no way. Did you have to check your toes to make sure they were all there for a sec? Well, you know, and in retrospect, <laughs> my toes kind of did curl in a little bit. But <laughs> Oh, man, that gives me chills. You know, and, and I realized, like, if I, it, I mean, it's like an attraction, right? It, it, I was not sexually attracted to her, but there's a magnetism there. And I, mm-hmm. I pictured, if I'm in a homeless shelter instead of the day room of a prison, and... Homeless shelters are rough, man. You gotta, you gotta realize, like, it's not just like you get to go hang out until you want to leave. Mm-hmm. You know, most of them, the setup is that you have to leave from like, I don't know, so call it eight a.m. to four p.m. They don't yeah. care where you go. You just have to leave, and you have to take all your stuff with you when you go. And then you return at four, and you hope to get a bed again. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get a bed, they're going to kind of give you the list of the other homeless shelters in the area and wish you luck. Like there's nothing. Some places will allow you to reserve a bed for a certain number of days, but at the end of it, you're still out of luck. And yeah. this is New Hampshire, right? It's cold. So getting it's... out of there seems like a dream come true. But yeah, there's no, like New Hampshire doesn't do the public transportation thing. 
Like, so if you're in Epping, you're in the middle of freaking nowhere. And you're a half an hour or more from the next viable homeless shelter, probably. Like, I don't know. I don't have any. But you're a ways. It's not easy. If you've committed to being here, like, you're here. And especially now you think about the men that she preyed upon. So, A, you're just desperate. Like, there's a, la- there's a layer of desperation that we're going to lay down right from the start. And then B, these guys have some mental deficiencies or challenges or whatever you want to call it, where they're more vulnerable than the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I mean, easy pickings. It was double whammy for them. Right? And so I'm thinking, like, I'm not homeless. I'm occasionally kind of smart. I'm you know, sort of self-aware. And so I'm able to go through and realize like there's something compelling about this woman and that sets off my alarm bells in a bad way. But then again, like I'm fully heavily in touch with my inner asshole, you know, and <laughs> I don't trust anybody anymore. So yeah. like you can't, <laughs> I, I'm cynical. Right. But if you're hurting and you're scared and you're, sort of struggling in life and life has kicked you several times you know okay so listen all respect full respect to kenneth county's mom she lost her son and nobody gets to point at her and say well you shoulda because fuck should yeah you know i i I cannot imagine something worse but he wasn't home he chose not to be home so for whatever reason, in his mind, and, he, and it didn't have to reflect reality. It could have just been some twisted thought in his head. But for whatever reason, he thought it was a better idea to be in a homeless shelter in Epping, New Hampshire, than to be in his parents' house in Tewksbury, Massachusetts. Right, And I don't, I don't begin to know what that was. I, I don't know why. But... There was something hurting in the sky and something wrong. And presumably, at least now now she would say so anyway, that he could have gone home if he wanted to. Yeah. And he chose not to. And so I don't know what that was about. But that made him easy pickings. That he didn't, been... in his mind, he didn't feel like he had family behind him. Yeah, it must have been some reason that he was there. I mean, he chose to, I mean, in some way, he's 24, and mm-hmm. whether or not they tried to take guardianship of him doesn't matter. It sounds like they would not have succeeded, because it sounds like he knew the right things to say. Yeah. You know, he was able to shoo off the police saying, no, 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 I'm fine, during several welfare checks. So... Yeah. I just, I feel like, you know, just that, just that moment that I had with her. I mean, it was, it was the blink of an eye. We didn't exchange any words, you know, but I was in the room and, and just feeling that, that sense of like, there's charisma there. Like I'm watching her. Like if she had wanted to start a cult, she could have started a cult. <laughs> That's so interesting to mm-hmm. have to, well, that you personally experienced that magnetism from her that. Mm-hmm. And you're nowhere near as vulnerable as these these men were that she attacked. Right, but some people do have that pull 
that brings others closer to them. Yeah. Well, yeah, like she, like you're just saying with the cult, when you hear about cult stories, you're like, how the heck did anyone fall for this crap? But when you experience uh, someone with that much charisma, or, like just so sure of their own will, it draws people in and, it's just it's cool to hear your perspective on that and from being in the same room with her because it's something that just reading online you don't you don't perceive and you don't think about not exactly you think like how would anybody stay why would they stay yeah well how how does how does anybody dare decide what love means <laughs> you know yeah. and if, if she believed they loved her and she convinced them of that, well, how do we know that she was wrong? It may have started mm-hmm. his love. So. Yeah, that's a good point. For what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, so it, there's so much to think about in this case of Yeah. It's I mean, I'm not even gonna try to to wrap my head around it, but just thinking about the story itself and and how her uh the thing that st- stuck out to me the most was how she was able to justify these things in her head like you were saying in her head these things may have seemed logical and and my thoughts are that her past abuse had a huge role to play in and how these things ended up. Yeah. Well, and it, 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 at the very minimum, they gave her the words to use. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the words she used may not have been the words that she meant. Do you know what I and mean? Like like, you, yeah. You know, the, 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 her concept of love, I think and I hope, don't match my concept of love. <laughs> yeah, like, well, like you said earlier, how her perception of sex could have been more of a, like, that's how you control people or that's how you. That's how you get what you want. Yeah. And, yeah, that's your worth I mean, in the world. Not, yeah. And that's not how most people perceive it but in her mind that it was like her currency yeah yeah her toolbox her toolbox (laughs) so i have kept you guys on the phone for three hours which let me tell you that's my number (laughs) (laughs) i keep everybody on the phone for three hours but i mean let's let's wrap it out so I really appreciate your time. It's been so interesting just to listen. I always love hearing the case from a little bit outside because that helps remind me of what's weird and what's not weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I spend enough time sort of wrapped up in these cases and things start to feel normal to me that have no business feeling normal. Yeah, and that helps you kind of understand the point of view of of the people we're talking about, because, I mean, the way you frame things has really, 
changed my perspective or at least given me multiple perspectives to think about where i mean someone's mind can can lose perspective on what most people would the way most people would view it yeah initially see the whole situation yeah like just the normal perspective of why would you do that that's super wrong yeah if you dig into it yeah you the way that you explained different things like the whole kid logical versus versus like adults would be like no why are you drinking yeah rational milk out of the carton you dummy yeah (laughs) super super helpful yeah so we really appreciate your time i right back at you you know i think it's been sort of it's the mutual admiration club now but but it's 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 all super helpful so i i really appreciate your time and we'll do it again thank you find another topic and we'll We'll get yeah. together sometime soon. But on the way out, give give people again the reminder of where they can find you. All right. Well, you can find Voice of the Victim wherever you listen to podcasts. We just recently got on Spotify, so Woo-hoo. now we can officially say you can find us anywhere. And <laughs> are, you, are you freaking kidding me? I just got on Spotify. My God. Really? <laughs> oh man, how many episodes I mean, do you have now? Twenty three. I mean, congratulations. That's what I mean. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> uh, they, yeah, they were slow. I have a lot and just got on spot up to whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, um, you guys are doing great. And um, it's been it's been fun to listen to. It's been fun to hear you, as it were, find your own voice. So keep it up. You. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. So as you can hear, Ryan and Rosie are two of the sweetest people on the planet, and they're fun, and they're interesting, and they're getting their feet under them. They're just getting started, which is a little bit insane to me, because I'm just getting started. But together, it was a really fun time. And do check out their podcast, Voices of the Victim, and then stop and sit with that for a little while. Look at the picture of this kid, and he really is a kid, not a child legally an adult, but a kid nonetheless. Look at the look in his eyes. This is not an individual who had the tools that a fully functioning adult is believed to have. Look at this kid and you tell me, did he ever have a chance? Didn't you feel better before you knew that? Thanks, as always, for listening. Thank you to my latest patron, Tasha. Super exciting. And I am, as we speak, as we listen, as we do something, I'm actually in London. Now, you wouldn't know it to look at me right this second because I'm in my basement in Salem, but technology allows me to schedule a recording. That's really hard for me, y'all. That's <laughs> I so want to drop an episode as soon as it's done because I get all excited about it. But I'm going to schedule it to drop at the same time as Ryan and Rosie's episode so that you can kind of go back and forth between them and come to your conclusions. I hope to be able to drop the occasional maybe postcard from the road. And there is another collaboration from Dublin coming up at you. So we'll see. I don't know the timing yet, but I'm super excited. I'm also a little bit terrified, but I'm hanging in there. 
I just haven't traveled like this in such a long time, and I'm not 100% certain I remember how, but chances are I'll figure it out. As always, check in IWB Podcast. Hop in on the Facebook group, even when I'm away. Different friends and listeners and listeners who are friends and vice versa have agreed to run the group for me while I'm out of town. So stop in and help them out. Answer their posts. Start comments and threads whenever when I'm gone. I will try and check in when I can. And if I can't, well, there'll be a lot waiting for me when I get home, right? So... IWB podcast here, there, and everywhere, and I'll come back at you when I can. In the meantime, stay sane. I'm Kate. And we are Nothing Rhymes with Murder. Murder. Each week we hit up a new country and tell each other a true crime story from it. Usually also whilst guzzling Prosecco. Past trips have led us to the vampire of Krakow in Poland, the last witch burned in Ireland, and the boozing barber in Canada. We don't like to leave you on a downer though, so we will give you some fun hotspots to visit also. Absolutely, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at NRWM Podcast on Twitter and Nothing Rhymes with Murder on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. And remember, kids, life is a journey. Just don't let murder stop you. Okay, bye bye. Bye then. Okay, bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.